Well, welcome everybody to the Anything But Typical podcast, and uh, we've got another Anything But Typical CEO and founder yes, we do. of a company here, Caleb Musser. And so before we get into your background and your amazing story, um, one of the places that I see Caleb fairly frequently is at the Harris Y. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm going to ask you this question, Caleb. So you're walking down the hall at the Harris Y and you overhear a couple other people talking and they're talking about you, but they don't know that you are within earshot. They, yeah. they see your Beats headphones on and, and they think that you're <laughs> engulfed in, you know, Led Zeppelin or something. So <laughs> yeah. um, the question that I am asking you is, they're talking about you. What would you love to hear them say about you? About me personally, yeah. like not the business, okay. Um, yeah, that Caleb is really creative and coming up with ways to help me and my business hmm. succeed, make money, um, achieve my goals, really get us a quantifiable ROI. Um, just, yeah, that he's uh, really thoughtful and, you know, will go the distance to, to do those things. Love it. Yeah. yeah. I think that's great. And so for those of you that do not know Caleb yet, I'll, I'll give you a quick intro of who he is. So. Caleb, you founded a couple companies at the same time, and we're going to get into how they almost, um, they definitely correlate and how they kind of interact with each other. So he's a founder of Craftum.io, and they, what they do is they're making it easy to send hyper-customized, high-quality corporate gifts. So we're hearing a lot more about gift-giving in business, right? And so a lot of what we're going to dive into today is that company and how you kind of position it and really the balance between sales and marketing right and how do you have that personal aspect to it and then also you're the founder and creative director of Musser company Musser and company sorry and that's an innovative communications company helping people break through on top accounts top prospects things in that avenue and so part of that with it being creative director yeah. one thing that we haven't hit on yet Gary in in anything but typical is creative processes and how people can really tap into that so we're definitely going to dive into that as well so we appreciate having you on yeah thanks guys you know one of the things that i heard about you when i first came back to charlotte five years ago was and you had launched this thing but i want to hear more about what you uh what brought you into the muster and company when you went from nascar yeah doing cold calls talk Talk us through a little bit what that evolution was, because even your journey continues to be an evolutionary journey. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it was uh, it was really fun um, getting into the NASCAR world uh, back in it was 2014, um, and I had a bit of a, uh, I guess unusual journey. Uh, right out of college, I sold uh, printers and copiers door to door for Technicom <laughs> here, which everyone's probably seen. Um, and I uh, did that for about a year. I went and uh, sold uh, for a digital agency and then ended up in NASCAR. Um, and in NASCAR, it was probably one of the hardest things I've, I've done. Um, it was, you know, no one wakes up and is like, you know, how are we going to spend our million-dollar sponsorship budget? <laughs> like, you're having to convince people why they need to um, do this type of partnership. And uh, so we had to get really creative to start conversations, um, just build, you know, nurture leads, that kind of thing. And um, <clears throat> I, uh, at the time, I would um, build these, you know, kind of, kind of, to be frank, like crude, you know, wooden gift boxes with some of the engineers at the shop. And we'd fill them with, you know, different things. I mean, a piece of the car that was autographed by a driver. And we'd send it to people, invite them to the track, or if they come, we'd give it to them. And... As a, as a thank you and a, and a tangible thing. And um, it's really interesting. One of my sponsors, actually, uh, who's the VP of marketing, he was like, man, he's like, you're you're building creative ideas into stuff. He's like, no one really does that. Right. Most you know products are more generic, mass-produced, like, you know, the swag is like mm-hmm. yeah. all the same thing. Of course. And it's like each one's like personalized for each person. Yep. He's like, why don't you, you know, why don't you do this? Like, make this a, a business. Um, and I was like, you know, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> so um, at the end of 2014 was when I left the race team, and uh, they were very gracious. They actually let me uh, build the gift boxes out of the shop uh, for the first couple months and mm-hmm. um, moved it into the garage, uh, was building, you know, had table saw from Lowe's, and uh, this one, all the boxes were still wood. 
Um, and uh, I was very fortunate uh, to land uh, Coca-Cola Consolidated as our first account, which was huge. You That's know, for, a big one. How you yeah. say so? Not <laughs> yeah. a bad start. Not a bad start, no. <laughs> so that transition, right, of, of having this, this job and almost what you think is going to be a career and yeah. then doing something so personalized and unique to your, not only your abilities, but also your interests. Yeah. How is that transition on, on a personal level, right? Because we can sure. talk the X's and O's of the business, yeah. but, but what are the struggles of, that you went through transitioning to something on your own? No, absolutely. I mean, to be totally honest with you guys, like I didn't think I could do it. Um, mm-hmm. I, um, my, my thought was, I was like, oh, you know, like maybe I'll build some boxes out of my garage, wait tables, like as long as I can like kind of do my own thing, that'd be pretty cool. Right. I didn't ex- exactly envision like signing Coke and then we, we got Auburn and it was like Coca-Cola, Auburn, the Mets, those were my first three clients. So it was, um, it was like, wow. Like, and uh, I, so it was kind of like, I guess, surprising to myself. And uh, and through that process, I, I gained a lot of self-confidence. And yeah, of I mean, like, wow, like maybe I can do this. Maybe I can actually like build a, a, a real business out of this. And um, so, I, yeah, I don't know if that answered the question. Yeah, yeah no, it, it definitely did. And then as you're realizing that, okay, so yeah. all of a sudden this is no longer a hobby where you're yeah. gonna wait tables to yeah. pay the bills. And this becomes real in your mm-hmm. eyes. Yeah. Um, how did you then start to make it a legitimate business instead of just a side project? Yeah. No. Absolutely. So um, I try to be pretty simple. I guess you know, try to dumb it down as much as possible. Like I'm pretty black and white. I need to be able to like focus on certain things, or I get distracted pretty easily. So mm-hmm. I, I just sat down. I was like, huh. You know what would be the lowest hanging fruit, and it's like what what markets do I know really well? It's like I, I know marketing, um, I know sports marketing, um, I know that there are other sponsorship sales guys like me that are struggling to get indoors, so I'm going to go to them first. That just hmm. was what made sense. So I went and found my counterparts in other uh, sports teams, agencies, and I was like, hey, this is what I did to build relationships, um, to get in with partnerships. You know, would you guys be interested? And, uh, you know, I guess it was compelling enough to start landing some of those clients. So one of the things that you mentioned there that I think is really important, and that is building relationships. Yes. That was one of the things that kind of drew me to you when I first met you. Yeah. It wasn't about your entrepreneurial journey, which I think is great. And there are plenty of entrepreneurs out there that do it because either they can't find a job or they can't work for somebody or they've got this dream that they just can't keep down any longer yeah but what I heard from you was you wanted to genuinely build relationships and I think even if you think about the evolution of these very amazing custom boxes that I think started as cigar boxes if I'm not mistaken and then you turned them into custom things and then you were doing custom engraved laser engraved things and very personalized even to I think you've uh, done these for presidents of the United States and yeah. and beyond, right? Yeah. Um, but the thing was, it was driven by I want to build a relationship and a meaningful touch point, if you will. So, yeah. give us an example of one of the most unique or uh, surprising relationships that you were able to build through something like that that you would never even would have thought of. Hmm. Yeah. No. That's that's. Really good one. Um, yeah, because there there have been a lot of really cool ones. I'm gonna try to narrow it down to just one. Um, yeah, we were really fortunate that first year was. I mean, it was kind of like a magical Cinderella year. We uh, we did we were hired to make a gift for George Bush and his father to commemorate their new book, which was really cool. Oh, cool. Um, but probably one of the ones I think was, um, I don't know. For some reason, this always sticks out. Was after the Patriots won the Super Bowl and yeah. they, they beat the Falcons in that crazy comeback and. Uh, we had never worked with them before. I'd never been able to get anyone to respond to me from there. You know, the Patriots are kind of like the Yankees, right? Like they're the, you know, the big dogs in sports. So um, I was like, you know what? We're just going to send something to them. We're going to send it, to, you know, to all the executive people, and you know, hopefully that'll help. And um, so we made one for their, you know, whole front office. Meaning you made a box. Yeah, we made really cuss. We actually commissioned um, an artist to create original artwork of Tom Brady holding up the trophy. Um, at the end of the game it was really cool and engraved that on box made it you know and then each one was customized for them so like Tom Brady's box had 
you know, coasters with pictures of him and his family after the game. And same for Belichick and the other one. So um, anyway, we sent that up to him. It was like, hey, congratulations. You know, if you ever need any sponsor, you know, corporate partner gifts, you know, keep us in mind. And a week later, they called us and was like, this is really cool. Uh, we wanted mm. to learn more about you guys. And uh, so I got to, you know, build the relationship with, you know, these people that never responded to me. <laughs> Multiple outreaches, you know. And uh, we ended up doing uh, gifts for all of their corporate partners that year to celebrate the championship, which is really yeah. cool. I think it's, it's amazing that not only are you using your, your products, right, these customized boxes for your clients, you're also using them to get clients. So you're using them for yourself to get into places that you wouldn't have really gotten into otherwise. Yeah. So you're, you're drinking your own Kool-Aid a little bit, which is, which is great. Yeah, no, absolutely. We, we definitely, I mean, we, like most of our marketing budget is, is that. It's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, sending things to people. It's just the most effective way to, for people to visualize, like, oh, wow, I could do this for my clients yep. or prospects. Yeah. So you just talked about marketing and, and using gift giving as marketing. So I want to dive a little bit deeper into that. Yeah. When, when we talk about gift giving in business in general, sure. what are people typically thinking of, right? When you first approach somebody and say, hey, this is what we do and how we do it, yeah. what are they thinking you're gonna be talking about? And, and then I will dive deeper of how you actually position it. Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, I think gift giving has accelerated a lot, even in the past five years since right. I started. And a lot of that is the thanks to, like we were talking about before, John Rulin. He's like the godfather right. of gifting. He wrote the Giftology book, which a lot of people, so a lot of people are like, oh man, we should be doing this. We should be intentional with our, yep. so people are more, um, I think, aware than when I, when I first started. Yep. Um, we still have some of those conversations where they're like, oh, you mean like swag? And we're like, no, not, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know, like so, and then there's like, oh gosh, like now I gotta like kind of create the framework and, you know, uh, get to where we're trying to go. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people are starting to realize like we should be sending um, just, you know, with all the data that's coming out, like you, you gotta leverage a multi-channel integrated, uh, you know, marketing and communication strategy to really break through. People are realizing we need to be sending uh, not just tangible, you know, direct mail, but also like stuff that like it's personalized, it sticks out, and it you know makes a makes an impact. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's perfect. And one of the things that we've hit on with Giftology and, and John Rulin, yeah, is there's a big part of being intangibility there, right? You're going to give these gifts, and you're hoping the relationship goes somewhere, but you're not seeing a tangible result. And I right. think that's one big difference that, that you do versus yeah. most people in this space Yeah, is you're creating a way to almost balance marketing and sales, right? How do you yes. do the relationship and still make sure it's leading to future results? So how do you make that balance? Because I think it's a real big, it's a large struggle in, in this space. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, it, it took me a couple of years to figure out too that I wasn't like the most masterful like relationship uh, gift giver like like mm. John and some of the other people that are in our space. But what I realized I really had a passion for and was pretty good at was um, creating a you know a catchy um, call to action message and boiling creating a story out of whatever it was that we sent that really conveyed that. It was mm. like, huh, that's interesting. We should maybe take some time to talk to these people. And that's what we try to help our clients do too. Um, you know, definitely like, you know, send a gift, you know, when it's, when it's appropriate, like if it's an existing relationship. But if, if it's someone that doesn't know you from Adam, you know, it can sometimes, you have to be careful because it can come off as a bribe, right? Like yeah. if you send something yeah, and then yeah. it's like, why, why are you sending this to me, Caleb? Like, you know, I'm sending this to Gary at BGW and it's just like, hey, here's this nice thing, please meet with me. Well, I haven't given you any like real value it's it's kind of like a transactional type thing it's like yep. i sent you this thing we should meet you know so that's where yeah. we try to um, incorporate that marketing messaging and <clears throat> you know we've invested a lot in the, des the uh, excuse me the design technology to be able to do that to be able to engrave different logos um, call to action messages and it's like in a really cool tangible presentation when you open it up and they're like oh wow okay this is a really sweet thing they sent me and this is why they want to yeah. talk to me whereas in giftology it's it's the opposite right so 
the idea for those of you that don't know in, in giftology, the concept is you're going to give gifts, uh, but it's not going to have any marketing. It's not be anything about sales. It's not even yeah. going to have your own logo on it, right? Which is fine, and it's great from a relationship standpoint, especially so like for my clients in financial planning. I love doing that because yeah. I'm not trying to market. I'm just trying to show appreciation. Sure. Um, but when you're doing it for somebody in a prospecting style, now it's it's right, right? It's almost misleading. You're saying here, give me, give me some time because I sent you this this gift yeah. and that's I think that's where there's a big disconnect in, in traditional gift giving and what you see in giftology and things like that you yeah. can use it for appreciation but you can't use it in that style for growing your own business and getting sales no exactly and that's why like we um, so uh, on our platform we actually separate the two we have like marketing new business and we have like gifting appreciation that's perfect and the mm. um, what you're talking about like the gift the appreciation side is all about them right of course and, and then on be. the new business it's 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 integrating the both it's yeah. their brand it's your brand and it's coming up with a compelling message of like this is why we should maybe yeah. explore a conversation yeah because I think that's very and when people like mix the two it could get weird right yeah if I was showing appreciation <laughs> to a client and send them a, a cutting board I've used a couple times where it's a, a wooden cutting board and it's got their name engraved if I put my logo on that that's that's a gift for me right that's yeah. not a gift for them that's that's marketing it's yeah. not appreciation so I love that you separate the two yeah so yeah I love that too because you can sniff out the motive a lot of times yeah um, what's behind and and where people can see even the giftology thing is oh it's another tactic that I can use to hook somebody in right and uh, you know I think this gets down to our why you yeah. know um, and I want to peel the, the onion back a little bit because what's interesting is all three of us have fathers who are also entrepreneurs right yeah. yep. which I think is really interesting yeah so I want to hear a little bit about your own observations of your father's journey and how that's impacted you and your journey yeah. in the entrepreneurial world. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's uh, interesting thinking back. So I, I grew up in Raleigh, uh, which is a you know, very entrepreneurial market, and my dad was in software. Uh, very niche 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 uh, side, so he developed um, custom software uh, in, in the biblical scholar space. So wow. like seminary professors and stuff would like use his software. So it was very, again, niche, niche, niche. Um, and uh, I remember growing up, it was normal, you know, like probably starting like five years old, like we'd load up in the car and like go to dad's warehouse. And this is back in the day of like <laughs> CD-ROMs, right? right? And we'd be like shrink wrapping boxes, <laughs> you know, for retail and putting stickers on them and stickers on CD jewel cases. and. Um, that kind of thing, and uh, I remember trying. I, I got paid. I think it was like maybe five cents a sticker for everything that I put it on. And like my goal was to make a hundred dollars a day. So you have to, you know, sticker wow. pretty darn fast, you know, and not take bathroom breaks. <laughs> um, and so, the, I mean, that was that was normal, you know. I learned how to use a tape gun and package products, and you know, do packaging slips and. Um, I just thought that like, you know, this is what everybody did, you know, and, and then I like, as I got older, I was like, wait a minute, like your dad works at a bank and like, he doesn't do this. And it was just interesting. Like, it was just like, I was immersed in that, um, kind of from, uh, day one. And I mean, it was, to be honest, it, it was not easy. Like my dad, again, he had a very small market. Uh, there were a couple unfortunate things that happened. There was a fire when I was like, I think around 11 years old, that actually burnt down his warehouse and like, wow. This is the days of like hardcore retail, right? So all the inventory just got wiped, yep. um, which was a, a big blow. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I, I got a very realistic mm. um, view of like also like the freedom that entrepreneurship brings, but then also the the challenges, you know, and potential pitfalls. So I, I knew what I was potentially getting into um, when I started my company, and yet you still did it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so Gary, we've never talked about your experience in the same side before, right? Of what yeah. you saw growing up and how that led you to des have a desire to lead and, and grow companies. Well, it's interesting because my dad was an educator. Okay. Right? But he always had a side hustle before it was called a side hustle, yeah. right? Because educators didn't get paid a lot of money. Yeah. And, and it was never about the money, but my dad was an inventor, you mm. know? And, um, and he also had one leg. He lost a leg to polio when he was 17 oh, wow. so 
Um, he was kind of a class clown, even in college, and he had a professor that basically said, you'll never amount to anything, and whatever you do, don't go out with another friend of his who was a state championship swimmer before he got polio in both legs. He lost both of his legs. Wow. So he said, whatever you do, don't go out together looking for a job. Well, that like lit my dad up, and all of a sudden, then he went and got his master's degree and all kinds of things. But he built a motorhome from chassis up. Like, wow. It, it, it was one of the most amazing things, but because he only had one leg, I was always his helper. Yeah. And so I never really saw myself as the leader. I was always the helper. Okay. Which is interesting. But then he had a you know a miniature golf course that he started, and then he did a um, he built um, and had a um, RV business where he was selling RVs, but also rebuilding them and all kinds of things like that. And then he also had a tree spade company because in Kansas, literally a treed lot was two trees on a residential lot. And I'm yeah. not kidding. Wow. And so he bought this big, you know, tree spade. Again, the, the guy with one leg dragging another one, you know, is doing all this stuff. But he just found people interesting. Yeah. And he loved, you know, the freedom to build and do do stuff that people would say, well, you can't do that. You got one leg, yeah. you know. Yeah. And he'd be like, yeah, and I'll show you. So I think I saw that with my dad. Yeah. And he had a genuine interest in people. And I think that's probably my biggest thing. I, I was a reluctant entrepreneur. I was brought in to do a turnaround when I was 28. So yeah. I never thought that would be my course either. But. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so in all three of our scenarios, we were the helper, right? And that's kind of normal, I think, when you've got a, a parent that's a small business owner or has a side hustle. So Caleb, how, how did you take some of those lessons as being the helper as mm -hmm. an 11-year-old kid yeah. to being the leader and being the boss? What lessons were you able to take from those experiences? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think one of the big ones is uh, just, you know, are trying I know I haven't always done a very good job at this but like really trying to keep you know your, your head and um, keep your calm when you know stuff's hitting the fan you know when mm -hmm. everyone else is like freaking out and um, they're looking to you and you know just being able to say you know we're fine this is our this is our plan like I know things may seem a little crazy right now but we're gonna come out of this on the other side and it's, we're gonna be better for it like I, I know um, you know it might seem a little nerve-wracking right now but you know I, I feel like I can see around the corner on this one and if we just stay the course we're gonna be good gotcha. and just being able to um, just kinda I guess like assage <laughs> you know some of the emotions of, of the people that are, are helping support you know are relying on you and and they're looking to you like okay how are we gonna you know get get through this yeah yeah oh it's perfect um, I want to pivot a little bit from from our past to the two companies, because we've talked a lot on the, the gift giving side, but you have Musser and company as yeah. well, which is more on the communication side of, of sales and marketing. So before we dive deep, can you give us a quick explanation of, of exactly what Musser and company is and then how will you position it? Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, for the first uh, five years we were in business, so we started at the end of 2014. And um, actually at the end of last year, uh, we rebranded from Muster and Company Enterprises to Craftum.io as yep. our gifting division, and then just must the Muster Agency basically. Exactly. Um, and what we found was was like we had this web Muster the Muster and Company website. It had marketing services and sales enablement and corporate gift giving, and it was just like really confusing for people. Mm -hmm. And so it made sense to split the two. Um, <clears throat> and what was interesting was was that the agency services kind of were uh, like a lot of what we've done was birthed out of needs that our clients express. So we were working with a lot of sales teams for gifting campaigns and we were coming up with really cool um, you know, gift campaigns. And But then we were seeing needs like, oh man, the, these sales teams, like they're not receiving support from the marketing department. They they don't have any landing pages, you know, where people can like convert, you know, if it's a prospecting campaign. Okay. So let's start building them landing pages. And um, we had one client that it was a really creative campaign and we, we couldn't figure it out like they only had a couple people respond to it and what we found out was on the back end was like they just sent the the gifts and expected 
the phones to ring. Like they didn't do any follow up at all. Uh. And like, you'll get a couple of those, right? Like they'll be like, but you know, in today's, you know, just busy digital age, like you, you have to follow up. It's really crucial. So then you're like, oh man, like maybe we should help, you know, the, the, the sales teams build out their process, you know, like uh, day one, like, you know, they, they follow up with a phone call and an email and day two, they're sending a LinkedIn and so on and so forth. So a lot of it was kind of reverse engineering um, needs that we were seeing. And like right now there's this kind of revolution going on in sales and marketing where the, the traditional silos are crumbling. Um, you probably heard the buzzword account-based marketing and integrated marketing is where they're kind of getting married. And we're going to, instead of, you know, shotgun blast 5,000 prospects, we're going to focus on 50. And we're going to mm-hmm. hit multiple people with consistent, personalized messages. Yeah. Um, and so we're trying to kind of, um, yeah, I guess, ride that wave and be, you know, carve out a niche as thought leaders in that in that space. Gotcha. So that's where muster agency comes in. Yes. Is, yeah. is really, it's a communication aspect to make sure the gift-giving money, time, effort that they're putting in isn't just falling out deaf ears. Right, that there's actually a process at the beginning all the way throughout to help turn those people into relationships and eventually clients. Yeah, there's definitely the you know the quantifiable piece and then also just the you know the creative and the strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a camp really cool campaign for a tech company where um, uh, we actually recorded a, a fake Siri like voice on a tape recorder. Um, and the the Siri the, the the voice was called bad data. And when you press play, like, so when the prospect got it, they press play and bad data gets your name wrong, your company wrong. And it's like, oh, my apologies. You know, Hmm. if you get XYZ company's customer data product, you know, I'll never show up at your customer's doorsteps. So coming up with those kind of ideas and then building that flow uh, and helping them think through like from, you know, ideation to conversion, how do we get there? So when people work with you on the gift side, is muster agency a, an aspect of that, or is that something they can opt into as well? Yeah, great question. So a lot of t- uh, our sales process right now is we're leading with our, our platform and we're going to our, our prospects and saying, hey, you know, if you guys uh, see value in the the platform and the type of you know gifts and mail, you know, direct mail we can send, you also get access to the agency. Got it. So we. We're a little bit just because we're still a pretty small team, you know, 10, 10 people uh, or, you know, must plus or minus 10 people. And um, so I'm not as much actively going out and, and selling the agency as hard as Got I it. am, yep. you know, the focusing on our platform. And uh, we take on, you know, select clients there that kind of come up organically through relationships. And um, but a lot of it is, you know, we're, we're leading with the platform and saying, hey, you know, not only are you getting this really cool tool to get you indoors and build relationships, but we can also bring it alongside, you know, the, the ideation you need. What I love um, about what you're doing, and even going back to, you know, burning shoe leather um, and selling NASCAR sponsorships, yeah. right? Yeah. You understood the direct sale. You understood uh, what that was like, but you also have a heart of a marketer, which is really interesting because there is this split oftentimes between sales and marketing. Yeah. Uh, salespeople are like looking at marketing people like, what have you done for me today and why, why aren't you driving more to my door right now? Yeah, right. And um, marketing people, unless they've had to go burn the shoe leather and been rejected from doing cold calls, they don't understand. You yeah. know, many or very few have actually done both of those things. And I, yeah. what I think is really interesting and where you're going with this thing is there is a disconnect. Even a lot of salespeople don't know, like, how do I get in? Because people, their inboxes are overwhelmed with email. The, nobody's picking up the phone. Yeah. Yeah. And so, what do we do? And yet their quotas aren't going down every right. every month. Yeah. So I just think that that's a, an interesting thing. And what you've done as an entrepreneur is you've paid attention to the market and you are um, responding to a need. Yeah. No, you're exactly right, Gary. I mean, what we're seeing too is, is like the people who do really well as, as, as sellers in particular is, is like they're realizing they're hybrid sellers and marketers. They're building a brand on LinkedIn. Um, they're not just, you know, making 150 calls a day. They're doing strategic touch points across direct mail, LinkedIn, email, like video, any any way possible they can to, to get in front of people. And 
um, I think it's I think it's really exciting and like our dream like my, well I guess my dream is um, the same way you I think this is just the way you, we, we see it in the B2C market right like I, I know your son designs shoes and yeah. um, if you want to go on and hyper personalize and create your own Nike shoe you can do that and you can have it within a, like a week or whatever mm-hmm. it's crazy um, and that's the way I see the market going with B2B sales too, where the same way I can send a personalized LinkedIn message or email to Gary Fry, mm-hmm. um, being able to send, like create, send a piece of direct mail or gift and it'll show up, you know, Amazon Prime fast a couple of days later as just another touch point in the sales process to help differentiate you from, you know, your, your competitors who are doing more of the traditional mm-hmm. outreach. And with you guys, you, you can take over, if you will, that program and run it soup to nuts if, if that's what they want, right? Yes. Which is really interesting too because even a lot of salespeople that I know that are really good, they, they're, they're used to doing things a certain way and they don't know how to, when should I be doing a follow-up on this? And, and it can be overwhelming because of the amount of touches and that sort of thing and you know using the CRM platform etc yeah i think the fact that you've been in their shoes and that you can actually take that off their plate if they want it yeah is is very unique i don't know anybody else that's actually doing that so let's piggyback off of that and get pretty practical and tactical sure yeah um i'm sure all of us get these LinkedIn messages all the time that are multiple paragraphs and you can tell it's just copy paste yeah. from one person <laughs> to the next, right? And which is basically the opposite of what you're talking about. So what are a few of these lessons that people can take away of how they should be communicating and, and how they can personalize it without it taking up 10 hours a day? Yeah, no, absolutely. And we're talking mostly from like a, like a new business perspective. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Let's, let's stay in the prospecting side. We can talk later of the, the client, whoever is already doing business with you, but let's stick with prospecting for now. Yeah, so one of the things, yeah, that, that's great. It's like how do you do hyper-personalization at scale? Yeah. So one of the things that um, we do, uh, we use leverage a platform called SalesLoft for sales enablement, which allows you to send hyper-personalized uh, email, LinkedIn, you know, make phone calls all from the same dashboard. It's pretty, pretty mm. cool. Um, and so we'll create a, uh, a template that's, um, but it, it, it hinges on the hyper-personalization, if that makes sense. So like one of the things that I do is I re- research every prospect that we reach out to. Like we try, I try to do 50 a day and I, I, you know, go on the company's website, try to determine what they do. Okay, so BGW provides, um, you know, innovative and forward-thinking accounting and tax payroll, you know, whatever that is. And so I would ask, I would say, hey, Gary, uh, quick question for you. Um, you know, does your Salesforce at BGW have a way to send hyper-personalized direct mail, like they would in LinkedIn message, when selling your innovative tax mm-hmm. services or whatever? So I show that I actually know what it is that you do, and I'm, I'm asking a question. You know, do you have a way of doing it? And so I'm trying to get you to think. Um, and because I, I, that was one of the things I realized as a founder is, what messages do I respond to? It's usually the people who actually take the time to figure out what the heck we do. Right. If, I'm, if I'm just getting mass blasted, I almost never respond to those. Yep. They're like, hey, Kate, it looks like you're really doing some cool things in the corporate gifting and marketing space. Um, you know, we ran this campaign and kind of kind of similar to what you guys do. And mm-hmm. I was just thinking, like, you know, would you be interested in our yada yada software? I respond to those. I don't respond. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's, and <clears throat> that, so like the core, and that's actually like, so SalesLoft actually came out with a lot of data that shows is like, you know, you, you know, you can, uh, you can hyper personalize every single unique, unique thing, but it, it's, it, you don't have to necessarily. You can work off a base template and, you know, plug in those elements of personalization and it's, It'll you know still still work. Yeah. So it doesn't take up the ten hours a day, but you're also not just sending the same three paragraphs to every single person on LinkedIn that yeah. nobody's going to respond to. Yeah, and I think it depends on the level of person too. Like if, if I'm if I'm targeting targeting like a CEO or, or a CMO or someone like that, I usually will like create a completely you know custom bake from scratch message for them. Um, I think it just depends on the level of decision maker. Like the maybe more mid level, you know, you can do that little bit of a base template with still you know you're using their name the company name like you research their business and that that seems to work pretty well do you guys measure any any of that type of stuff as far as hey when we completely personalize it 
here's the response rate when we use a template but personalize it, here's the response rate. Do you guys do anything like that? That's actually a great question. Um, so, well, with the, with the higher level, you know, I'm usually just creating that from scratch out of my Gmail, so I don't really have a way to track that. Yep. But I can see my, I mean, on the, the more templated side, yeah, I can see. Like, I, we're usually getting 50 to 60% open rates. Yep. Really? And about, yeah. And usually, that's pretty amazing. A, yeah. It's significantly higher than the average. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like the, the, the typical open rate is more like 5%. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, 50 to 60 is a lot higher. So everybody that's listening, that goes to show how much a little bit of personalization and taking a few minutes to actually learn who you're, you're writing to, how valuable that really is. You know, it's an interesting point, and it's counterintuitive, but we just had this event today here at BGW with Cindy Prager of Rhythm Systems, and she said something about you got to slow the race down in order to speed up. Yeah. And what you just described is slowing the race down in order to speed up. And that is you have to do some prior planning yeah. and thoughtfulness versus just do something chaos. You right. know, it's like I, I've used this analogy at times. Uh, sometimes because the tyranny of the urgent is so strong, it's like, jump in the car, let's go. <laughs> yep. Okay, where are we going? I don't know, we'll figure it out. Well, <laughs> stop. Yeah. Figure out where you're going, and then you can put it into the GPS, and it'll take you the fastest rate way, way there, especially if you use Waze. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's counterintuitive, especially when your emotions are going, move, 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 faster, faster, faster. And I love how you're being intentional. I mean, you said you're doing 50 outreaches a day? Yeah. Yeah, so, I, and that's that's been really interesting as a founder, like, because you got all these things going on, right? Like, you're like, the accountant's calling, and it's like, oh, crap, like, you know, we've got to order this. And so, like, I had to really get intentional with my time. So I block off a couple hours in the morning. That's when I do my prospecting. I do all my research, and then I, I build out my my emails, and then I, I send them, or, or LinkedIn messages. Um, and yeah, that's been my <laughs> big challenge this year is just getting, uh, you know, really being dedicated to that and not, you know, letting myself break away from that. I, you know, that's an important thing, especially as you've scaled. Now you've got, a, you know, 10 people or so. You were, all roads were leading to you at one point. Yeah. You, you know, and you're always managing the tyranny, the urgent. But I would say anybody out there that's, if they're a solopreneur or if they're running a big company, it doesn't matter. I think blocking out time and priority management yeah. versus time management are really critical things. So, you know, the fact that you're prospecting 50 a day is a, is a pretty big deal. Yeah, especially with a team of, you said, plus or minus 10 people. That's, yeah. Yes, that's small, quote-unquote, in the scale of things, right, in that... Uh, that meeting or that event, Gary, we were just talking about like billion dollar companies, right? And what they look like. So yeah, 10 may seem small, but you're, you're managing people. You're making sure other people's responsibilities are getting done. Yeah. And yet you're still prioritizing the fact that you want to be one of the people out on the, the front lines leading the charge. Yeah. And a lot of it is too, is just like, it helps, um, it helps with the innovation side. Like I would, we were talking before, Gary, like pretty much all our business, you know, the pivots, the evolutions have come from keeping our ears to the ground, seeing what clients need. And so if I'm not actually doing the sales, like, you know, I'm going to get left in the dust because yeah, it's changing detached. so fast. I mean, there's all kinds of technologies that are coming out right now. And um, I want to know, you know, I also want to know, like when I'm just pitching this to a client, like what they should be able to expect, expect their sales marketing people or whoever's like running yeah. like the campaign it just help you know it helps me with expectations yeah so we talked about priority management and then talked about innovation um let's let's hit on on that a little bit with yeah. the, the creativity side so sure what does it look like for you individually of how you can actually set time aside or whatever your habits are around this to make sure that you're staying creative you're staying innovative yeah instead of just being complacent Oh man, um, man, I'm trying to think. Um, 
Yeah, so actually, to be honest, I'm not sure if I'm doing a super good job at that right okay. now. I am a little bit like in the, the grind because we, you know, we just le- launched this new platform. So a lot of yeah. it is kind of like heads down. Yeah, and, um, and everybody's going to get in those phases in, yeah. in business. And so that, that part's not, not a big deal. But you've, you've figured out over this five and a half almost years of running yeah. this that you guys have evolved dramatically, right? To the point where you separated into two separate companies. Yeah. And a lot of people can get stuck in the weeds yeah. you know, of their business and never be able to see what's actually going on. So I, th- I think that that part of it, even if you don't feel like you're being innovative right now because you're yeah. so engrossed in it, you're still able to do that. You're still able to take a step back and see what's really going on. Yeah, no, actually, <clears throat> I, I'll, I guess, take that back for a second. So yeah. one of the things that I, I realized, um, you know, it's funny, we're on a podcast. So like, I had friends that like lived and died by podcast, you know, they're like, dude, you gotta listen to this podcast. I'm like, oh, like I got, you know, I got other stuff to do. And uh, so, but I was like, all right, I'm going to, so I started listening to a couple of different ones. And um, one of the, one of the ones I listened to was uh, the Masters of Scale, Reed Hastings. And yep. uh, mm. the particular S episode was about slash and burn. And I had this like eureka moment. Um, I guess it was the beginning of last year. It was, it was like eight, you know, the 80, 20 rule, right? 80 percent of our business was from like custom like one-off projects one and done and they'd be you know not bad like maybe 10 20 grand a pop but mm-hmm. ton of work um you know they could fall through at any time uh, of various reasons and a lot of times it wasn't repeat and um you know listening to this podcast like the light bulbs went off is like you know we've got this you know platform that we built that makes it really easy for people to um you know send this hyper personalized gifts and direct mail on demand and I'm not really pitching that. I'm still going out and like trying to sell, you know, agencies on like event gifting and that kind of thing. And um, which is, you know, fine. You can build a, a pretty decent business that way. It's just like for high growth, it's not very scalable. Yeah. And so that's where like listening to this podcast, I had this, you know, creative, right, I guess like Eureka moment. I was like, I need to reverse that. We need to be 80% scalable mm-hmm. solution and 20%, you know, custom one-off projects. Yep. So that's. So speaking of that, so a podcast versus listening to the news. I'm, I've got a friend that launched his company during the downturn, and like left GE, you know, and in its heyday, he was over global brand. Wow, believe it or not, and he's here in Charlotte. Yeah, he'll have to be on our podcast right. too. <laughs> um, but um, he said I, he had to turn off the news because it was just bringing him down. Yeah. And, you know, listening to podcasts is a way of freeing up your mind, even yeah. if it's commuting or you're driving to, you know, an appointment or whatever. What else do you do to kind of unplug or free up your brain so that you can breathe again versus, hey, I've got these 50 I've got to do, and then I've got these employees that I got to deal with, and I've got these tasks that are on my plate that I got to deal with. What are you doing personally? Because you also have a little 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 son right or daughter a little girl little yeah. girl and and a wife you guys got married a few years ago yeah um, so you've got that you know world of you know lots of busyness and sleepless nights and the, that kind of thing as yeah. well what are you doing personally to re rejuvenate your your brain your body etc yeah no absolutely um, and this is again like one of those things where just being honest with you guys I don't know if I've done a very good job I, it's like one of those things I'm, I'm like is my like number one like I, I'm trying to figure this out right now um, but you know waking up in the morning I try to have some quiet time like with Bible study and uh, I try to get to the gym like spend some time like the sauna is really relaxing for me I love listening to podcasts in there and hmm. um, it just helps me it's just kind of like I don't know it's just yeah relaxing time and uh, try to go you know on walks you know midday like get out of the office um I'm trying to think what else um those yeah, are really then, good things you know i know another ceo that he has to go on walks like he will do meetings standing up walking meetings around the parking lot with his people yeah just to clear his brain yeah so i think i mean those are really good practical things what you're talking about getting quiet yeah Going into a sauna and listening to podcasts. I yeah. didn't know you could even do that because I figured it. Airpods, Airpods, Gary. Yeah, you leave your phone outside and yeah, <laughs> that's good to know. But then also, you know, hitting the gym because I know that for me too, I think all three of us yeah. are gym rats at, at at that point, and it's there's something about just 
it frees our mind. You yeah. know, and it's good for our body, but it frees our mind. And we, I think we need to do that. We yeah. have to have these moments. No, absolutely. I mean, and like it, it came, it, for me, it had to get to the point where I had to like, you know, like, you know, you, uh, I, I've never been to an AA meeting, but like where they, you know, they, they make them say like, you know, I'm so-and-so and I have a drinking problem or whatever. Right. Like I had to get to the point where like, I was like, go home and I'd be spending time with, you know, our, uh, at that time a little bit under one-year-old and like, I couldn't turn, turn it off. You know, I'd be like, I was like obsessed with thinking about like, you know, and it was like these thoughts are just constantly racing. And um, my wife even said it. She was like, you know, she was like, where'd you go? Like she could see it like on my face. Like we'd be talking and then like I'd like, you know, uh, be thinking about, you know, oh crap, I forgot to call that client back or whatever. Right. And I just realized it was like, you know, by me not having those boundaries, by taking and learning to like, you know, be present at work when I'm at work and then being able to get away from that and be able to enjoy my family and that kind of thing is like, I am, you know, a workaholic or, you know, a overly, yes. uh, and I think it's one thing to be really driven and focused. Like we have to do that to build our businesses. But when it becomes to that point where it's obsessive and you like can't turn it off, I sort of like you have to step back and be like, okay, what am I going to do to right. kind of re- redirect? I don't think you're the only <laughs> entrepreneur to have that problem. Yeah. I think that's pretty common, but it's amazing that you've recognized it because so many of us get in it and don't realize that you're self-aware enough to figure that out and self-awareness and and being able to be vulnerable, especially with yourself or your spouse is, it goes a long ways because it allows you to figure that out and now do something about it. So now when you go home, you can spend the time with your wife and your daughter and be present, which is amazing to talk about. Yeah. And having a good wife too. That's like, yeah, <laughs> that's one of the um, things I really like about you too. And I'm drawn to people that have humility. I see that in you, Ben. I see well, it you. in you, Caleb, as well. And that is, you've said a number of times, "Oh boy, you know, I'm not the best at that or right. whatever." Well, guess what? We're all human, and we're all figuring it out. But that's one of the things that I think is very attractive about this conversation with you guys, and it's. And it's hopeful, I think, for anybody listening. You know, that's a beautiful thing. We don't have it all figured out. No. And anybody that says they do, they're they're lying or they're incredibly naive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, so we're getting towards the end here, but but there's a couple other pieces that I wanted to make sure we hit on. So first, I want to talk about what the vision looks like for you for the for the companies. What are those next steps that you? steps that you're trying to achieve kind of what's on the horizon for you yeah no absolutely so um yeah uh i'm just trying to think here um so last year was really really formative in a lot of ways like i had this Seems you like know it. like a eureka moment listening to reed hastings and um and i started getting some clarity about you know kind of like where i wanted to take the companies and also like what like makes me tick as an entrepreneur mm. um and one of the things that i realized is like i really enjoy that like zero to 60 you know ideation coming up with a a, a product concept taking it to market getting buy in that kind of thing and um but i'm also not in my opinion the best like like long-term CEO who's going to take you know year after year incremental growth. Yeah. It's just not really what I'm wired for. So um, what we're building now with our gifting platform is um, I'm trying to create a, a product and a platform that will add a lot of value to the SMB and startup market and um, you know just really build and, and scale that um, with the eventual hopes of you know, being able to, uh, you know, potentially have an acquisition scenario, um, mm-hmm. and be able to focus, you know, uh, focus on my, my marketing company, and you know, maybe start something else. Um, that's that's what I really enjoy. Um, is you know, I enjoy the marketing side, and I love taking an idea from zero to sixty. Yep. Um, so, yeah, we're just. I mean. You know, we alluded to it before, but we're heads down right now. We're we're building this platform. Um, you know, we've we've laser focused on our market. You know, we you know who our uh, target f- industry, vertical decision makers, and all that. And we're just going as hard as we can um, to to build something really special for what I you know I think the market really needs. Um, so hope that answered the question. Yeah. Yeah, so I've got a question that I want to piggyback off off of that, and that is. You've identified some of the sweet spots, the things that make you come alive. I call it your thrive zones, right? Yeah. You know, 
it's really important to do that, I think even on an annual basis at a minimum of really getting in tune with what's making me come alive versus what's dragging me down and slowing me down. Right. How have you found people to complement your thrive and wither zones yeah. so that you know you know what you're good at and you also know what you don't like doing? How have you found people to complement those things that you don't like doing? No, that's great. Um, yeah, so finding um, someone who really thrives in operations and details and, um, you know, taking, uh, like, my concept and making sure it actually comes into fruition so, like, you don't have, like, a bunch of projects out there that we're kind of working on. Right. Um, finding someone like that has been really crucial for me um, and just realizing, yeah, like... Uh, so my wife worked with us for a while, and she would always tell people, "As I, you know, like Caleb will will uh, say something, and then like he'll forget, or he'll just assume, <laughs> he'll think he told you something." And so it's better to like ask, you know, ask really clarifying questions. And so just you know, I've learned those kind of things about myself, and like having really detail-oriented people around me who be like, "Oh wait a minute, we said you know in the meeting last Tuesday that we we're going to do this, and these things need to happen," um, just because you know I'm going to love it different directions and sometimes those can fall through the cracks if, I, if I'm the only one doing it. Yeah, no, it's perfect. So let's finish on, a, on another tactical thing because I think we've been able to do a really good job with that throughout this episode. All the listeners here, whether they're, they own their own business or they're in some type of leadership position, what's the, the one or two things that you want to make sure you get across when it comes to gift giving in business? What are these things that people need to take away? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so what we talked about earlier, like I definitely think if you're sending gifts as an appreciation, it needs to be about about them, yeah. and it needs to be a gift. Like, um, don't try to slip in the marketing message in there. Um, and then from a new business perspective, um, it should be hyper personalized. Um, whether that's the actual item that you're giving them, um, you know, if it's a, a, a older male executive or a younger female executive like try to um you know do do, do some research and, and send something that it's going to appeal to that more than likely appeal to that person and but then also too like the the message inside um should very clearly qu- and quickly state like why you're sending it to them mm. and you know why why it would make sense to potentially have a conversation um so yeah i think the hyper personalization whether it be the actual uh, the object itself or the design, you know, the packaging, your note that goes inside. I think having the call to, we call it the call to action message, the, the actual printed call to action message is so crucial. And like if you want, we've learned a lot of things over the years. Like I used to write like, you know, page long letters to yeah. people and it's, you want to read that. Like yeah. they want to, you know, mm-hmm. like three to five sentences, you know, and keep it brief, clear, personalized. And um, yeah, yeah, I think that's a, a effective way of yeah. doing it. Oh, that's perfect. So if people are interested in you, they're interested in the businesses, where do you want them to go to, uh, to learn more? Yeah, so our uh, gifting business is uh, craftum.io, so www.craftum.io, craftum spelled uh, craft plus custom, um, so that's how we came up with the name. Gotcha. And then uh, mustercompany.com is our agency site. Perfect. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys. Caleb, thanks so much. Good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you too, Gary. Thank you.